Welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word, the podcast that empowers you to say, fuck being fine. Tired of being stuck in a place where you say everything's fine when it's really not fine at all? You're not alone. I'm your host, Lori Seitz. I've been there too, and so have my guests. Here's a secret. All it takes is a conscious decision to change and then restructure beliefs so your actions take you in the right direction. That's where fine is a four-letter word comes in. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories from people who have transformed their lives and businesses and practical tips and takeaways to move you from spinning in place to forward action so you can create a life of joy. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. For this week's summer session, we're kicking it back to January 2022 for the conversation with Carol Bannons. She and I talked about grief and the grieving process, setting healthy boundaries, and expanding your awareness of the present moment. Here's what's new with Carol since this episode published. She is now a certified grief to gratitude coach and a certified grief educator. She's focused her grief coaching practice on working with widows and widowers. And she just this week published her first book of grief poems. It's called Kintsugi Your Heart, The Art of Living with Grief, and is available on Amazon. You can find a link in the show notes. This episode is sponsored by Zen Rabbit. If your life is a bit of a mess right now and you feel caught in a storm with chaos swirling around you, check out the new Staying Calm in Chaos program. It's 10 short audio sessions of tools and techniques to help you find peace of mind, no matter what life circumstances are throwing at you. Comes with five awesome meditations and there's a bunch of other complimentary, get it, complimentary stuff like mandala coloring pages, templates for writing gratitude notes, and 52 weeks of inspiring activities to maintain your chill throughout the year. Because how many more days in a row do you want to say, ah, today was a clusterfuck. Tomorrow will be better. Check it all out at get.stayingcalmincaos.com. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. In this episode, I'm excited to bring you Carol Bannons. Did I pronounce that right? Because I forgot to ask you how to you pronounce did. it. Okay. You did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interview um, point number one, learn the guest's name. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. It's all right. Everybody's doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the show today. Um, let's thank you so much. It's yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. Let's jump right into it and talk about the, the values and the beliefs that you were raised with that helped contribute to who you've become as an adult. Ooh, I wasn't expecting that. Well, you know, I was brought up in England, so, um, I think we had pretty strict values. My my dad was a surgeon, my mum was a nurse, and so certainly caring was one of them. Family was a really big one. We would always have big get-togethers for Christmas and Easter. We didn't, of course, have Thanksgiving, but we had all those lovely get-togethers. I think a work ethic, a hard work ethic was a really a big one. Education was another big one. 
I think it was less of the touchy-feely, although the family was more from my mum's side, but I think really education, learning, caring, integrity, mm. all of those. Mm. Were you, was your family open to sharing emotion? Oh, God, no. <laughs> what emotions? No, no, I'm English. And, and, and I think, you know, I think I must have been Italian in the last life because I'm all kind of warm and fuzzy and huggy. But my my mum and dad weren't. My dad certainly wasn't. Mum was in later years. But no, we never discussed emotions. In fact, um, um, this is very sad. I had a sister who died when I was nine. And um, it was an accident. My dad said, Susie has died. And that is the last I ever heard of it. Wow. We didn't have a funeral. We didn't have a memorial. This was in 1973. We had nothing. Now, my mother, of course, was in pieces, of course. Sure. But she couldn't, she couldn't talk about her. And so what I've learned really in my life, having lost my husband three years ago, is talking about the people you've lost actually keeps their memory alive. And I just think it's so sad that that culture couldn't talk about death, couldn't talk about the love that we had for someone. Now, bear in mind, she was 21. I mean, it was a terrible loss. But none of the other brothers and sisters, none of us knew anything about what had happened. And I didn't find out until 20 years ago, actually, when my dad died and his best friend told me, this is what happened. So, yeah. So, no, emotions were, were just not, you know, not discussed. They weren't even there. Wow. That is, that is quite a story to be, to, and, and a burden for you to carry as not knowing what happened and not being able to talk about it and process the emotions around it and then seeing the effect that it ha that had on your mom and um yeah. yeah so you mentioned though that you are more warm and fuzzy where did that come from do you know what i really don't know i think i maybe my nana i loved my nana you know and she was just she was warm my mom was warm but but it, we didn't talk about feelings and things and she showed her love through cooking and doing things like that but you know i'm a, a physical therapist retiring so for a long time you know people have been in my care and it's a lot of touching and looking after and listening. And I think that warmth has to grow. You have to have warmth in that sort of profession to, to be good and to build relationships with people. But I think it comes fairly naturally to me. I don't, I don't really know where it came from. Sure. But I'm kind of warm and fuzzy. Well, yeah. that's, that's, and how has that served you? I think it served me very well in many ways. But, you know, you can get on that warm, fuzzy side and be a little bit too nice and people-pleasing. So, you know, I've had to learn about that. Or, you know, you get to this midlife and you're, you're thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm always putting other people first. Uh, what about me? So I think I learned that from my mother, a bit of a self-sacrifice. So she, she did everything for everyone, particularly my dad. And you learn from that, don't you? And so, yes, it's been great and... Now I need to learn those healthy boundaries or I've been having to learn how to put healthy boundaries in place. Yes. Boundaries and balance are the, mm. the things I think we are all doing a, a better job of as we have gotten older, at least um, a lot of the people that I've been talking to have. And not that that has come easily yeah. to us, 
No, I don't think it does. I think it's really difficult for us because we weren't brought up. First of all, I'd never heard of a healthy boundary when I was in England or growing up. I mean, you know, what's a boundary? Mm. Uh, and and to be honest, not until I really started thinking, doing craniosacral therapy, but also then life life coaching. Nobody ever talked about boundaries. I didn't really know what they were until, until I realized I was letting people cross mine all the time. And then it's like, oh, that's what a boundary is. It's actually saying no occasionally. Yeah. It's actually saying yes to myself, which was something that one didn't really do. Just the other day, I was on a phone call with somebody and we were talking about the the fact that no is a complete sentence. You don't have yes, to give an explanation that. to somebody if you don't want to do something. Yeah. No. And yet, it, it's complete. And yet, as women, we tend to feel we have to, you know, give validation. It's no because, because I'm so busy or I, I just can't, but I really want to. And and it's sort of with our value, isn't it? We feel that if we see no, say no, we're not going to be valued. Right. And now we owe them whoever it is, an explanation as to yes. why we said yeah. no. They don't yeah. necessarily, I don't want to say they don't deserve, but nobody, you don't have to. You can just say no. 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 And you know, when people say, can I ask you a question? Of course, the answer is yes, that's a complete sentence. But you may not like the answer. And, it, and you don't have to always, as you say, validate why you say no. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think that's something we have to learn and practice. I agree. And learning how to say what we want to say in a way that we're not asking for permission to say it. Yeah. Just feeling okay saying it. Feeling that we are we deserve to be able to speak our opinion. And again, that comes from all that upbringing, especially when you're over 50, which I am, and the women I deal with are. We, we weren't really allowed to say our opinion. You sort of sort of stood back, you let your father or the men in your life, or it was a bit of a patriarchal society. And so it wasn't nice to speak up. Nice girls didn't. So to now get in your 50s and start to try to use that voice to say no, it's actually quite challenging. Yeah. And not have to preface things with, well, in my humble opinion, or I'm sorry, but can I just add this? Like, can I just? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry drives me insane when I hear people saying it. And I just, I just, whatever. I just want to add this. I just like to do this. Just, just, take that word away. (laughs) I know it's funny. It's a bit like the should word, but the just word is true, right? And I know I'm guilty of using that. I just wanted to say blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Awareness, though, is key. If we bring it up here in this conversation and somebody's listening and they hear us talking about it, the next time they use those words, they're going to catch themselves. And maybe it'll take a few times before they stop doing it. Because you do it a few times and you catch yourself and then you, uh, and then next time you catch yourself before it comes out of your mouth. It's so true, isn't it? And the words we use matter so much, don't yes. they? I was coaching a lady the other day and she said, oh, I'm so stressed. I'm meeting that. I'm missing that meeting. And I said, really? Is, is stress the right word? Is that what you mean? She said, uh, no, really, I've been disappointed. And I said, exactly. So to, uh, when we did our coaching session this week, 
I, she specifically was careful about not using stress. Now she's woken up to it. Now she's aware. So awareness really is everything, isn't it? It really is. And I used to get into conversations, putting it nicely, uh, with my mother about mm-hmm. semantics. It's just semantics. Yep. It's just. It's just semantics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quote yourself. <laughs> it's yeah. not, but it matters. Semantics matter. And yeah, it, they do. It matters and it matters the value. Each person has a way of expressing. So different words could mean different things to different people. Mm -hmm. And so semantics matters in that way. And then it also matters in the way that you're talking about, you pointed out to your client. Are you stressed or are you really disappointed? That finding the right way. And I think this goes back to what we were just talking about few minutes ago in that not being, being taught that we don't have emotions or not to show emotions. That actually wasn't the case in my family, but a lot of my podcast guests have, have shared that they were raised to not have emotions. So finding the right way of expressing your emotions and using the right words is more challenging because that wasn't something you were raised to do. No, that's so interesting, isn't it? And then you think of the the sort of huge vocabulary that we could use to describe emotions, you know, looking at like, if you looked at Abraham Hicks at the emotional guidance yes, scale. Yes, I love that. There are only about 22 there, so do I. But there, but there are so many words we can use that we can uh, replace another word with that's maybe not so aggressive or so depressing or... Or makes you feel a little better. But, you know, it's interesting because I I deal with pain patients in my physical therapy realm. And we do a lot about how you're using the words. You know, my back is killing me. My back is broken. No, it's not. Let's change it because it becomes a threat to your nervous system. The way you're talking ramps up the pain. So it's a bit the same with emotional pain. If you keep saying, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed. Well, guess how you're going to feel? You're going to feel stressed. And perhaps that wasn't the right word, but perhaps you don't know what other word to use. And that's where we come in as coaches, isn't it? That you can guide people to say, is that really true? I'm so glad you brought that up because, right, if you keep telling yourself a certain thing, your mind starts believing it and looking for ways to make it even more real and reinforce it. Totally. Totally. It looks for evidence, doesn't it? It looks for the evidence that you're stressed. And guess what? It always finds it. It does. Right. Because you, your mind will always find what you're looking for, whether it's positive or negative, you will find it. Yeah. Evidence to support your belief. It is. And, and you know what? That's what I love that I've been able to transfer all that neuroplasticity knowledge over to life coaching. Mm. Uh, grooving the pattern, saying the same thing over and over and over and over. Well, if it's, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, that's how you'll feel. But can we change it? Can we change the firing? Can we make a new path? Can we, you know, visualizations? How do we use that to, because the brain doesn't know the difference between real and imagined. So why not imagine something nice? Yes. <laughs> Instead of catastrophizing of something that's going to be terrible. Catastrophizing. One it's of my be terrible. favorite words. Not favorite word because of what, but it's a good it's word. It's very though. descriptive, and because it creates a, a picture, a very yeah. clear picture in your mind. Yes, I when I'm doing presentations and I ask people, we are, we're talking about visualization. What mm-hmm. 
does, you know, you can visualize positive outcomes or negative outcomes. What does it, what's it called when you visualize negative outcomes and people sit there thinking, what is it called? What is it called? It's called worry. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it, and I love it because it brings us into mindfulness and anxiety and depression. And, and, and you know, I was doing a talk today and, and 47% of the time we're not in the present moment, we're thinking somewhere else, and it's usually something negative, isn't it? It's worry about what went on or anxiety about the future. And so really learning about how we speak and how we think and what beliefs we have, those are the things we have to work on to change those sort of inner things, aren't they? Yes. Did you say 47%? 47% of the time, our mind is wondering we're not in the present. So basically, half our life, we're not where we are. <laughs> I'm surprised. It's pretty it's- high. Well, I was going to say I'm surprised it's it's not higher. Well, it may be for some people, right? I mean, that's the average. Wow. There may be some people that are way more off with that. I think a lot of people spend so much time thinking about the past and worrying about things that happened instead of focusing on the the present and the future. And I was actually doing a presentation this morning for a group and – used the the analogy of um well in american football they <laughs> you yep. know they it's all right they, my 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 late husband loved it so i'm good okay with that. All <laughs> i right. can follow it but you know the it's that season as we're recording this the yeah. quarterback comes in he throws an interception and yeah. he has to go back out on the field in 5 minutes or 10 minutes however much time not you know not hours yeah. even and not think about what he just did in the last play. Put his head fully yeah. in to this moment and moving forward. Yeah. They, and athletes, all, all athletes have to do that. And really business people do too, the ones who are successful. And it's not just mm-hmm. athletes in business. It's, it's in life overall. Not that it's you don't totally learn from the past overall. mistakes, but you don't dwell yeah. on them and drag them around forever. Is, isn't there a saying, give up all hope of creating a better past? I mean, you can go over it 50 times. It doesn't matter. It's done. It's done. We can't change it. And and we all do. We all do it. You know, if only I had done this. I mean, how many times have we said that? But, you know, there has to be a limit on saying, okay, if only I had, is there something I can learn from this? What's the lesson? Maybe next time that comes up, I'm going to do it a different way. Maybe I'm not going to get together with those people. They're not good for me. But, but we can't live in that past. It's not, you know, it's not going to help us. Yeah, I appreciate that you just made that comment about um, learning from the past. Yeah. That's, what it's, that's what it's good for is learning. Yes, And totally. making different totally. choices moving forward. Yeah. Yes, I think so. And, and and life is about learning, isn't it? That's the whole thing. You you need to be learning every day from every experience. And if it's a bad one, and we're all going to have bad ones, and we're all going to do something wrong, nobody's perfect. How can I do it better next time? Rather than berating yourself over and over and over for something you did wrong. Yeah, we all make mistakes. We're human. I was just going to say at this at the core of this, though, and we are human, so. Not to say that we won't still dwell in the past. It's, again, Mm -hmm. becoming aware of what you're doing 
and making yeah. a change. I see a theme in this episode. Awareness. Do you? <laughs> Becoming <Awareness>. aware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awareness, isn't it interesting? I mean, awareness is so key to life. Uh, I just did a, a Facebook Live talking about, you know, are you running on autopilot? That's being unaware, isn't it? You know, it's good that we have these automatic functions that our brain does all the stuff without our thinking, so we don't have to think those 35,000 thoughts a day. But when it becomes your whole life is just so automatic, you've lost awareness. And when you've lost awareness, you've lost the opportunity to enjoy life, right? You, you're, not, you're not engaging in life, and that's really what we want. Yeah, yeah. Because the show is called Fine is a four-letter word, is there a time yeah. when you your life mm-hmm. was fine? Or at least you were saying it was fine, but it really wasn't fine. Mm, many times. But I think the hardest time, of course, I, I mentioned my husband passed away about three and a half years ago. And I went to work very quickly afterwards. I went to work like three days after his funeral, oh treating patients. And of course, they would say to me, how are you? And what would I say? I'm fine. I was not fine. I was not really fine for quite a long time. And I'm still at moments not fine. Um, And it's just easier, I think, for us to say, I'm fine, because you just wonder, do people really want to hear how you are? Do they care? Now, I was actually lucky. I would say my patients really did. (laughs) They were very kind and very nurturing to me. I don't know who was treating who at that time, really. Um, (laughs) Really. But... We often do that to avoid a people-pleasing thing, to avoid causing the other person the discomfort of actually hearing, actually, I'm not doing that well, I'm really sad, or, God, I miss him, or, it's really tough. Yeah. It's really tough. And it's just easier to say, actually, I'm fine. You mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that Mm -hmm. about keeping the memories alive, and mm-hmm. when you say, I'm really feeling sad or I'm having a rough time, you're opening the door mm-hmm. for the other person to help you, what's the word I'm looking for, to help you f- memorize, not memorize, process, pro- process but also um, talk about that person. Yes, Totally. Totally. And, you know, in many ways, I've been fortunate because my husband was a jazz pianist, so a lot of people knew him. And so his memory has been kept very much alive, certainly with his music, but also because people would say, oh, do you remember when Brian would do this or say that? And so I feel he's, he's very present. So I feel very lucky about that and very sad that for my lovely sister who I adored, I was little. That's why I was a physiotherapist because she was a physiotherapist and she came home and used to show me stuff. And wow. And how sad that we don't have those memories of her. In fact, when my dad died, my nephew said, um, Carol, can you tell me anything about Susie? Because dad, my brother, doesn't ever talk about her. Mm. And I said, well, not much. Yeah. <laughs> I was nine, but this is what I can tell you. That, that is sad. So yes, t- talking, is, talking about people, for me, I think is, is really key to helping you with your grief. It's not that you get over it, but it helps you deal with it. You have to do it maybe a little at a time, but it just keeps all those beautiful memories alive that there are Yeah, and the love. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think on both sides of the equation, people are 
reluctant. Like you said, you would say you're fine because you don't want to burden them. And they Mm -hmm. would not press to ask more because they didn't want to be intrusive or they were afraid to to talk about him because they didn't want to make you more sad when really... Right, they don't want to hurt you, uh, actually. Yes, it might have been better to talk, right. Yeah, yeah. So there, that's a key takeaway for anybody listening to this in terms of, um, you know, helping friends or colleagues or family members who are going through a, a grief yeah. process to, it's okay to talk about it. Uh, yeah, I would say don't, don't, it's really uncomfortable for the person, uh, for people who are asking the questions, you know, are you okay? But but you know what? Don't maybe not. Are you okay? Because you're not okay. But you know what is a lovely memory you have about yes. Brian or or whoever it is you've lost? Do you have a really special memory? I mean, sort of gauge the moment. But sometimes being able to share that—that's special because we know when you say you okay, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Although you say fine, yeah. no, they're not going to be okay. Of course not. They've lost someone they love. Yeah. But what's a lovely memory that you have of that person? That's, that might open up the conversation a bit. That's a beautiful question to ask. I'm always looking for what are better questions to ask in mm-hmm. any conversation. And that, yeah. right, knowing, asking yeah. the right question is the key to building a relationship. It is. It is. <laughs> I mean, one of the questions, of course, which we all do is, how are you doing? Yeah. And I used to, I wanted to say, how do you think I'm doing? Um, but people don't know, right? You don't know until you're going through it. You don't know what's going to irritate you. So yeah, you know, uh, do you change the question. Think about the question before you, you ask it, because how are you doing? Probably not good, but you're going to say, I'm fine. Right. Right, because that's how we're. That's, <laughs> that's how we're. Come out of your mouth. That's our societal that's training. Programmed. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, for sure. What are some of the tools that you've used to process and move? Um, you know, between that day and today. Um, well, some grief counseling initially, and actually, even again, so recently, because I thought, hmm, I, I think I still need some because the grief was so much. I, I think I had to titrate it. I couldn't deal with it all at once. So I was in a better place now. Um, a lot of self-compassion. I think a lot of self-compassion work, a lot of self-acceptance, gratitude, hugely useful, even when you don't feel like it. Even when you think, I've got nothing to be grateful for. Of course you have. I don't care whether it's your warm bed. You know, I'm in Canada. It's pretty cold. Uh, Whether it's a cup of coffee, whether it's the smile from somebody at the cashier at the shop, whatever it is. But there are little things we can always find to be in gratitude for. I think that is huge. Really looking through your day for small things rather than sinking so low. And listen, you know, I am not a Pollyanna. I sat on that sofa for a year not knowing how I was going to get up. I watched episode after episode on Netflix. I was so exhausted and leaden with grief. Mm. So I'm better now. I wasn't then, but I still practiced my gratitude. And for me, uh, I had great friends, beautiful friends who were supportive, who would invite me for lunch and who I could say, I'm done, I I have to go now because I'm too tired. So the social connection is is was key for me, but a lot of gratitude, a lot of inner work of now what? Mm. The curiosity again. 
Yeah, because now I'm not the same person I, I'm not the same Carol by myself as I was when it was Carol and Brian. Right. It's a different, you're different. And you have to, you have to go in on a journey of rediscovery, I think, of figuring it out. And I was pretty young. I was 54 when he died. So, you know, there's a lot of life left there. My mum died at 92. So I knew I had nearly four, you know, good 35 years. Still almost half your life left. Still almost half my life left. So, you know, I couldn't just stay sitting on that sofa. Yeah. Did you keep Uh, a journal with the gratitude? I do every night. I have done for years. Yeah, I do. And I, I also journaled about, you know, how I was feeling at that time. Um, I do a five-year, I've got um, journals everywhere. But yes, a gratitude journal I've done every night. Yeah. 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 I like. For a long time. I like that. Um, yeah. All of those pieces are important. And again, going yeah. back to you will find what you're looking for when you are are consciously looking for gratitude, things to be grateful for, mm-hmm. you again, find more of them. You really do. You really do. Um, Rick Hansen, a psychologist, talks about taking in the good. And I love this idea. He said, you know, when you're going through the day and you find something, rather than just sort of saying, oh, that's nice, really expand the experience, whether it's just your cup of coffee with the aroma and the warmth and how it feels as... As you do that in a positive attitude, it starts to rewire your brain for positivity. There are lots of little things we can do in the day to do take in the good. So, yeah, the more you look for it, the more you find it. The more negative, the more sad you feel, you go down that black hole. And, of course, you should honor your feelings. And, yes, you need to sit with your sadness. And that's difficult. But you don't want to stay there forever. You have to feel it though. And that's a challenge because I think a lot of people just put, I I shelved it. I did. That's why I'm back in grief counseling. Mm -hmm. I shelved it so I could keep working. I know other people who just get super busy so that they don't have to deal with it. At some point when you're ready, you do need to deal with those emotions, possibly because I never did in the past. It was hard for me, but we have to deal with them. It's not about being uh, positive, toxic positivity. Be with the emotions, self-acceptance, self-compassion, and from there, the gratitude and, and finding the good. Wow. You just so perfectly described that entire oh, thank you. <laughs> process and thank concept. You. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Let me ask you one more question. Okay. That is, what is the song that you listen to when you need a boost of inspiration? You're you're done processing those feelings for the moment and you want to raise your vibration. We were talking about the Abraham Hicks Mm -hmm, scale. mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, yeah, if you're not familiar, actually, maybe I'll put a, a link to that in the show notes so people can yeah. see what we're talking about. Um, when you want to boost yourself up that that emotional scale ladder, what's the song yeah. you go to? I love Bill Withers' Lovely Day. I love that. Takes me back years ago, you know, like 30 something years yes. ago, but it's just upbeat and it's lovely. And I have to say, before I do a Facebook Live, that's what I either put on or I listen to to just build up my energy so that I'm I'm in a good space when I do a Facebook Live. Very nice. That's such a great idea. Yeah. 
It's funny, I told my stepdaughter about putting on a song to, to raise her energy before interviews and things, and she does that now. She thinks it's the most wonderful thing. She said, I put on that song and I'm, and she's just got a new job, so she's super excited. But yeah, music helps. Definitely helps. I love I love music, which is why I ask this question of all my guests, mm-hmm. because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always yeah. interested in, in their musical choices. And do people come up with the same one or is it a really broad spectrum? It's been a really broad spectrum. And yeah, yeah not even all of them haven't been popular songs. Some of them are, uh, well, I'm thinking of one person in particular that was just, there weren't, there aren't even words to the song. It's just very inspirational music. And, right, uh, yeah, right. All kinds of things. If people want to continue a conversation with you, where's the best place for them mm-hmm. to find you? I would say my website's the best place, www.carolbannons, which is B-A-N-E-N-S dot com. There you can, from there you can join my Facebook group for Women Over 50, Unleash Your Joy, Women Over 50, Unleash Your Joy. You can email me. There's an Instagram link. So that's probably the best place to to get in touch with me. And I would love to chat to you um, and see if I can help you. Fabulous. We will put links to all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you. Thank you so much Thank for joining so much, me today, Lauren. Carol, on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. It's been a pleasure. What a conversation. I can't even imagine how difficult it would be to have a sibling pass away and never have her mentioned again. This is part of the beauty of this show, getting to hear all these stories and being able to share the different perspectives to help you, the listener, understand where people start and how they get to where they are now. If we all understood each other, we'd have so much more compassion. Here are today's key takeaways. Number one, there's a balance between stoicism and self-sacrifice and being so warm and fuzzy in your quest to please everyone that you don't set healthy boundaries. Setting boundaries occasionally means saying no to others and saying yes to yourself. And by the way, when you do say no, an explanation of why you're saying no is not required. No is a complete sentence. Number two, the words we use are important. Semantics are important. Pay attention to the words you use to describe situations and how you feel. Become aware, not only so that you're understood by others properly, also so that you're not triggering and threatening your nervous system by saying things like, my back is killing me. It might hurt tremendously. It's not killing you though. Your mind is extremely powerful and it believes what you tell it. Once it believes what you tell it, it looks for ways to make that situation real. Number three, Carol says that on average, 47% of the time, we're not present in the present moment. Our mind is wandering in the past or in the future, neither of which is actually happening. So you're not present for almost half your life. Give up all hope of creating a better past. Like Carol said, you can go over it 50 times and it doesn't matter. You can't change it. What's done is done. What you can do is learn from it. Figure out the lesson and make a different choice next time. Number four, in talking about grief and processing grief, 
Carol emphasized how important it is to talk about the person who died, to share your memories of them. Or instead of asking the person who's grieving how they're doing, because you know they're not fine, ask them to share one of their memories of their loved one. It helps them deal with their grief and keeps the beautiful memories and love for that person alive. Number five, expand your gratitude for experiences. Go beyond simply noticing things to be grateful for and dig into the details of the experience. So you're grateful for your cup of coffee or tea or hot chocolate. Notice how it smells, the warmth of it, how it feels as you take a sip. This level of attention rewires your brain to look for and see more positivity in your life. Make sure to get Carol's free guide, Unleashing Your Joy, Step 1, at carolbannons.com. Thanks for listening to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. If you enjoyed the show, please follow and share it with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to help others discover it too. You can find links to my socials on my website, zenrabbit.com. And before you go, take a moment to reflect on what you're grateful for today. Remember, you have the power to create a life you love, and I'm proud of you. Thanks for joining me, and take care.